You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We have an update for you. You might have heard back in, I believe it was 2017, a serious storm that impacted our friends in the India Evangelical Lutheran Church and how that impacted their seminary as well. We have an update to share with you on their recovery from that, as well as partnership with the LCMS. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Ross Johnson. He's, a, he's director of LCMS Disaster Response. Dr. Johnson, thanks for joining us on The Coffee Hour. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Also joining us today, the Reverend Kevin Robson. He's the Chief Mission Officer of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Pastor Robinson, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure and good to see both you and Sarah here and to be with our great listeners at KFUO. Pastor Robson, share with us a, a brief history of the India Evangelical Lutheran Church and particularly their seminary, Concordia Theological Seminary in Nagarcoil. Yeah, so what a wonderful mission field that has been over the course of the history of our synod. The very first overseas foreign missionary opened up for the synod back in 1894. Uh, the very first two missionaries that were called by the Synod, Ted Nather and Franz Mohn, both who had been working in India, interestingly enough, as a, <laughs> for the Le Leipzig Missionary Society, and had been doing work there. But there was a bit of a uh, theological controversy that ar arose when Nather wrote a very fine paper supporting the, our doctrine of scriptural inerrancy and, and divine inspiration. And that resulted in his being expelled. He and Moan were both expelled from India, went back home to Germany, and then were uh, ultimately directed to contact CFW Walther and ultimately uh, reached out to the Synod for some support and went right back to India to begin uh, their work in another part, another state of India. Eventually, uh, there was a number of other LCMS missionaries that were sent in the latter part of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century, did wonderful work there. And, you know, you, you think of what we uh, use as our paradigm today in the Office of International Mission, spreading the gospel, planting Lutheran churches, and showing mercy, and all three of those strands were evident in the, those brothers' work uh, right from the get-go into the faithful missionaries served uh, the synod there in India uh, subsequently. Ultimately, you know, after about a decade of work, and boy, and the, the story of those two missionaries, we could spend hours talking about that. Nather ended up going to be with the Lord as a result of being afflicted with the plague. But in 1907, that mission society received an urgent plea from some Christians down in Nagarkoil, the very southern tip of India, asking desperately for further assistance in advancing the gospel, meeting the needs of uh, people uh, locally in the community there. That effort and that answer to that call ultimately uh, resulted in the establishment of the seminary in Nagarkoil in 1924. So we're just about now approaching the 100th anniversary of that seminary, which is the gem of the I, of the Indian Evangelical Lutheran Church and is what is driving uh, the church's work there in country going forward into the future and why we are so keenly interested in supporting our, our dear partner there in the IELC to uh, continue the mission in that place. Yeah. And as they hit their 100th anniversary, they're going to have over a hundred students 
So you can wow. see that the, the history of the seminary there is rich, but also it's one of our largest international partner church seminaries that, that we have. Yeah. A long history there, a solid church partner. Interestingly, and this is, you know, a sort of another nice little feature of this relationship is that we really have no on-ground LCMS, LCMS missionaries working in-country, living, residing in-country that have been sent by the Synod. That sort of wound down in the mid-1990s. And to me, that's a sign of God's blessing that the church ha- there in India has become self-sustaining and continues. They're not without their own internal challenges mm-hmm. and issues like every other church body mm-hmm. and dealing with the devil's work in the midst of them and trying to thwart the, at every angle the, the advance of the gospel. But faithfully, they have uh, moved uh, that church's mission forward. And now we are in a bit of a collaborative mode with them in various aspects and supporting them in theological education, mercy work in in various uh, instances. But they really are running that church and leading uh, that church into uh, the next century here. Yeah, and their theological faculty, I believe, has seven full-time professors. All of them have doctorates or they're completing their doctorates. So you see that kind of uh, theological maturity that happens over decades and generations. So this is just a wonderful story. I could just, I'm just like sitting back and letting you guys talk to each other. This is great. Learning all this history. And I know the the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has had such a long history and relationship with the the India Evangelical Lutheran Church. What happened in, in December 2017 to the seminary? What was this event that has spawned all of this additional collaboration between the LCMS and the IELC? Yeah, so I got a panicked email in the end of December of 2017 uh, saying that there is a lot of destruction from a cyclone that happened at the seminary. And a lot of times I'll get reports as the director of LCMS disaster response of there's a tragedy, a disaster someplace, and you really don't quite know how bad it's going to be. Is it just, does that mean some leaves and limbs were knocked Mm -hmm. off of a tree or is there complete and utter destruction? Well, I started corresponding, asking for photographs of the damage that was there. The faculty were sending us pictures and they were desperate um, for help. And I was shocked to see how decimated the campus was. The campus not only is 100 years old, but it has a lot of established buildings. It's a large campus. It's 12 acres. Uh, A lot of the buildings are very large. So this isn't a a very small campus. It's actually very substantial. And when I saw the amount of the damage, we sent them an emergency grant to to make sure that the power lines were lifted off of the ground so that they could at least go back onto the campus. And so we sent them that emergency grant. And within a few weeks, I was on a flight to go to Nagarkoil, India, which is one of the more remote (laughs) places in the world. It takes four flights to get there, almost two full days of travel. And I went there and I was absolutely shocked at the amount of devastation and damage. There essentially wasn't a functioning campus left. And they were literally within days or weeks of closing down the campus permanently because they had no idea how to move forward. It was uh, a total loss of the campus. And so we started working on a plan of an action plan and making assessments together and saying, what would a partnership look like? And asking them a lot of questions and saying, what would the next step be that you'd like to do as far as the rebuild? And really asking them a lot of hard questions. And I was uh, really um, 
heartened by their thought was the very first building that they wanted up and going on the campus with the, was the chapel. <laughs> Let's get the chapel up and going. This wasn't my leading or their, my directing as much as they said, you know, we need to have a functioning chapel. So we started with the chapel, got that rebuilt, put roofs back on the buildings. And we just worked on uh, multiple stages of development over the last four and a half years. And even though we've been rebuilding the campus, uh, a complete campus rebuild over the last four and a half years, we really had a two-year pause with COVID-19 where we weren't able to have workers working together. India had a really hard, they weren't able to get goods taken from one state of India to another. So we really kind of had a two-year pause. And when I went back, I was just so happy with seeing how the progress has been going. I've been to India, I think about seven times now. I think that was my seventh trip. And it's constantly going back and, and strategically planning and working with our partners. And, and the results have been just wonderful. A real blessing. Which is, you know, a great example and all kudos to you, Ross, and the disaster response team here in the International Center. This is a great example of applying our expertise in close partnership with a dearly beloved church partner overseas. And the results that emerged from that collaboration are now a restored a seminary campus, which is absolutely a blessing from God. And what was uh, wonderful about this project is there's always destruction somewhere around around the world. And I'm always trying to judge how much do we put towards different kind of rebuilds because it's kind of endless. Mm -hmm. But with this, it was such an, uh, an important key partner that we have with the Indian Lutheran Church. And it was so critical to be able to have a seminary that's functioning. See, the seminary there is the only Christian seminary within a 200-mile radius. Wow. Not only do they educate Lutherans, they also educate evangelicals hmm. and they teach them the Book of Concord and the small catechism. So as wow. they go out across all the, the Southern half of India, they're being influenced, all these pastors being influenced with the catechism and the Lutheran confessions as they go out into uh, the various parts of ministry. Right. So it's so important, not just for the Lutheran church in India, but also for Christendom. Mm -hmm. and, and to be a Christian in India is so difficult because you're such a small minority. Mm -hmm. The man, major religion is Hinduism, of course, in India, but about 80% of the country is Hindu. The other religious groups are the Sikhs, the Muslims, and the Christians. So you have a very small percentage that are Christians, and it's so easy uh, to persecute the Christians. Uh, and their voice is so minimal that it is so encouraging for them to have a theological education, to understand what they believe, why they believe it as Christians, and then to be able to have pastors that are trained and equipped to go into the darkness of a lot of the, the world that they're in there. And to be able to do ministry from an educated standpoint, it's a residential seminary, so it's not online classes. The men go there for three years and study, and then they do a one-year vicarage. So in some ways, it's very similar, at least as uh, the residential plan is mm -hmm. what we have here in the United States in the LCMS. You know, you talk to the church leaders in the IELC and individual congregational pastors and it is incredibly inspiring to hear them because rather than focusing on the persecution and the suffering that they experience on a daily basis, their concern is for uh, a mission field uh, that is vast and ripe for harvest. And they are absolutely determined to proclaim the gospel in its purity, administer the sacraments according to Christ's institution, very much uh, kindred spirits. And from which we really can draw a lot of encouragement 
even as we grouse about the uh, conditions of the church <laughs> here in the United States and the challenges we're facing in the United States. They really see themselves as a light in the midst of darkness. Mm. They realize that there's such a, a drastic difference between them and the rest of the culture, the rest of the religions. A lot of times in the United States, we kind of, you know, kind of to be an American's Christian, to be a Christian is American, or you have a familiarization with it. But in India, it is staunchly different. The Christian worldview, the Christian religion, who Christ is from anything else that any other religion is teaching. Mm-hmm. We're learning about the rebuilding of Concordia Theological Seminary in Nagarkoil, India. We're talking with Reverend Dr. Ross Johnson, Director of LCMS Disaster Response, and the Reverend Kevin Robson, Chief Mission Officer for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're learning about the rebuilding of Concordia Theological Seminary in Nagarkoil, India, after suffering a great devastation in a storm in 2017. Ross, take us back to that. When you first visited in 2017 and you saw that devastation, it was overwhelming. What were operations like prior to that storm for the for Concordia Lutheran Theological or Concordia Theological Seminary in Nagarkoil? How many students were they preparing around that time and when operations virtually had to cease, at least momentarily? Yeah, it was approximately 80 to 90. And it happened to the storm came in about during one of their breaks. So there was a natural couple of few weeks break around the Christmas season. And they really didn't know what to do. What were they going to do with the students? How are they going to continue their education? They were literally contemplating a closure to the Mm -hmm. seminary after approximately 95 year history of being a robust, faithful seminary. And when I came back with the reports and the pictures, uh, we all sat around a couple of the conference rooms here and every single one in the building here at the International Center, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod was completely in agreement that this is a project that we need to help our partner church with, that we needed to rebuild the seminary, that it's strategic, that it's meaningful, that this makes an impact on the church, not just right now, but for future generations of theological leadership. And also it's one of our key mission priorities to build up and encourage theological education globally. And so since that was part of our strategy, we saw the value in it. We cared about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We went full force with, and I was very blessed to have the full support of everyone from President Harrison to Kevin Robson to the John Folly at the time and everybody in the building supporting the whole process of rebuilding the seminary. So what got them through? How did they operate then in the interim while working to rebuild? How did they make it through those next couple of years? And I know you mentioned earlier there was 
certainly during the the time of the pandemic, there were we were at a standstill with a lot of the project. But how were they able to operate and continue educating that, continue that formation of pastors? Well, thankfully, they're very flexible and they were very understanding and they're very grateful and very optimistic that they knew what they were going through was an investment. The reconstruction was an investment in the future. We spent a lot of time thinking through a strategy of as we rebuild, we don't want to just put a Band-Aid on this. We want the campus to be safe, secure and sanitary mm. for decades to come hopefully with a lot less maintenance than they had before. So they really saw the the benefit of this and they were they I never heard a complaint the entire time. We strategically try to make sure that the key buildings had roofs so we had to think through how do we keep the campus operational? What roofs do we put on? What are the priorities? What are the most important priorities? And then what can we do and leave for last? And they've been a great partner. They understand building and construction better than I do in India, which is very different than it is here. And we had some very faithful pastors. The principal of the school, who we would call a president of the school, was a great partner. The purser that we would say was the business manager of the school was great. And we also had some faculty members that oversaw the project management of this. And it was really a labor of love for them. They love their church. They love their school. They love their theology. And they really value this as kind of one of the jewels of our partner church in India. Mm -hmm. In what ways was the LCMS able to help? You've mentioned a a few briefly, but let's talk a little bit more about those specific ways that that we in the LCMS were able to assist with this and and really bring this campus back to life. Yeah, so part of it was... uh, the ability for LCMS disaster response to help them assess the damage, to help walk through a strategic plan about what we're going to do, how we're going to work, how we're going to operate together, and listening to them about what their priorities were, and then how do we address those priorities. And then we were able to do a lot of the funding through grants, but Mm -hmm. not all the funding came through LCMS disaster response. I was really impressed with how much the seminary faculty, the students chipped in, and also the church in India. Every mm-hmm. supportive of this, they saw the value in it. The pastors across India love this seminary. It's where they all studied their theology. They have fondness mm-hmm. of where they studied, and they know the value of theological education. And so we had support all the way across. So it wasn't just LCMS disaster response. There's mm-hmm. no way that we could have ever done this project here in the building. It really <laughs> was a team effort. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that it was a lot of the generous support and donations of LCMS members across the LCMS. We have approximately 2 million members that generously give to their church, their congregations, and to the Synod and to LCMS disaster response. Without their direct donations, this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. I I would also add, uh, Ross, that one of the great things about our work with our contributors that that support these kind of efforts is out of their generosity, we are well positioned to respond very quickly and nimbly mm. to disasters like this. It's not as though we are like, oh, there's a disaster. Let's wait six months or a year to see if we can get the contribution support to pursue a, a re, an effective response. Our donors really have put us in a position where we are well-equipped uh, to deal with a lot of different disaster response uh, circumstances, no matter what arises. And they've been continued to be generous in that over the years, over these past years. I'm very thankful for those donors. Yeah. And part of our response happened uh, and started kind of the first baby step of this rebuild was literally within days that we were wiring money. Yeah. 
and having conversations uh, with the seminary. So like you said, we didn't have to wait six months or a year, uh, but that rather we were able to put funds in place because it was so uh, it was such an emergency need. It wasn't something that we could just delay. Mm-hmm. Well, there certainly was a milestone in that rebuild. And uh, Ross, I understand you were able to travel recently to celebrate that milestone. Tell us about your trip and the progress made in rebuilding the campus for Concordia Theological Seminary, Niagara Coil. Yeah, so I'm a big believer that when the Lord blesses, that we should thanks give thanks to God and give praise for all that he has done. So one of the things that we did this last month is we went back uh, and we did a rededication and a blessing of the mm-hmm. seminary. It coincided with two other things, uh, a pastor's conference that we put on mm-hmm. talking about the theology of the cross and what is the theology of mercy. And then thirdly, the rededication and blessing coincided with the graduation of 30 or 40 of their students. Mm-hmm. They weren't able to do a graduation last two years because of COVID. So they were able to have all these activities together. So the campus was absolutely packed. Mm-hmm. At one point, we had close to 2,000 people on the campus. Mm-hmm. I think they said they served a little over um, 1,750 meals out of the rebuilt mm-hmm. kitchen. We had over 200 pastors at a pastor's conference. We brought theological leaders from across the LCMS to the campus to give a two-day pastor's conference. Great essays. Um on the theology of the cross, theology of mercy. And then we went around to the campus uh, and the, the faculty was able to show off the beautiful quality reconstruction that they did uh, and really thank God and spend time thanking uh, God for his faithfulness. Because like I said, five years ago, they had no idea what the future of the campus would be. Mm-hmm. Why is this? Why is this campus so important? Why is it important for these students to be able to train theologically within their own cultural context rather than bringing them to the U.S. and, and having them study at our seminaries, which are great? But what is that, that importance, um, the significance of, of training these church workers in their own context? Well, you know, we have two terrific seminaries here in the United States and uh, really, again, the cornerstone of our work and pastoral formation here in the U.S., mm-hmm. But there is nothing like training pastors in situ within their own culture, not only gaining the technical skills and exegesis, hermeneutics, systematic theology, but also being well-prepared to practice pastoral theology, Mm -hmm. the care of souls uh, unto their salvation and their nurture. Um, And it really uh, behooves the church to uh, prepare pastors to the best of its ability uh, within their own cultural context. That really is a part and parcel of, I think, the overall strategy of the LCMS to meet the needs, the express needs of our church partners globally to assist with their programs of theological education. The church does not go on without faithful pastors who are preaching God's word effectively and administering the sacraments, the baptism, and uh, the administration of the Lord's Supper to uh, care for the souls under their charge. It's just like the cornerstone of what it is. The office of the holy ministry is essential to the mission of the church. And that's one reason why, as uh, Ross said, one of our seven mission priorities is to expand and support theological education, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Mm-hmm. What does, Kevin, what does the rebuilding of the seminary campus mean for the India Evangelical Lutheran Church? 
and for the LCMS. Yeah, I, I think these are the kind of projects that you know have generational impact. We know that, especially as we produce young pastors out of seminaries, they're looking at uh, four or five decades, Lord willing, of service to the church, and hopefully not only in the in the proclamation of the, of that word on powerfully uh, impacting lives for eternity, but also uh, then inspiring others to enter church work vocations, either as pastor or teacher. There's such an influential and longstanding effect that comes from ensuring that we have stable, solid seminaries, not only in India, but in other parts of the world. That's part of our strategy that we have for the Office of International Mission, too, and supporting our regional seminaries in places like Matongo or in uh, the Dominican Republic or the new seminary that we're starting up in Jai, Taiwan later mm-hmm. this calendar year. Uh, all of those projects just have such a massive long-term, uh, long-time horizon tail to them. And we pray that uh, the Lord will bless us as we go forward in pursuing those initiatives. The Reverend Kevin Robson, Chief Mission Officer for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Coffee Hour. Our pleasure. And the Reverend Dr. Ross Johnson, Director of LCMS Disaster Response. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.